Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678 951 9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. All right. Well, we started a brand new sermon series yesterday on biblical womanhood, biblical femininity. Um, really, really important topic. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it today on the Talkback. We, we also yesterday had some of the most interaction that we've ever had on the text to pastor line. So that really encouraging, I think, to us. We want to answer questions. We want to engage with the congregation. Um, and beyond just the text to pastor line, um, you know, I had texts just to my text Jason D's line to my personal number and just other thoughts. So this was really, really great. And uh, I just want to encourage the church in this. Again, that number is 678-951-9041. Save it in your phone. If you ever have a question, let us know. Jason, question for you. Why do you think the rate was so much higher? Well, I mean, we kind of did the little pushing at the end. Mm -hmm. I I talked about the question, but I think this is such uh, an important topic, A, but also a topic where there's a lot of confusion, uh, Mm -hmm. particularly in the evangelical world. I think if you went around and you said, okay, evangelical people, um, is God, does God exist in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? There'd be relative agreement on that, right? People would say, yes, that's, that's God. Um, but I think, and you know, we did the word of God last week. I think that's kind of one where people are a little bit confused, but in terms of what, what does the Bible have in mind? I mean, I think really the question we're asking is what does the Bible, well, what we want to ask in this series is, is like, what, it, what is a good look at biblical femininity and how does that operate? But I think what we talked a lot about yesterday is what does the Bible have in mind in terms of the roles of women in the church and in the home? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think there's a lot of difference and a lot of confusion. I'm joined today by Blake Rogers, by the way, Lou, Luigi, uh, Paolo, Priolo, <laughs> and um, our, brand, our newest staff member, and we're so excited to have her, Jennifer. What's your middle name, Jennifer? Or what's your maiden name? Dobbins. Jennifer Dobbins. What a what a lovely name. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Dobbins McClish. And JDM. so I'm so glad you're here, Jennifer. Thank you. I'm Welcome happy to be to the here. Team. Thank you. Uh, Jennifer is going. So Jordan Bourne uh, has been kind of doing an internship with us. She's graduating from school. She's going to be she's getting a job in the real world. We're going to be losing her at Christ Covenant. But to replace her, we've got Jennifer McClish and we are Really, really excited about that. She's going to be working with Lou. Lou, are you excited? I am. Scale of one to 10. How <laughs> excited are you right now to be getting Jennifer McClish? At least nine and a half. Okay. At least. Well, you know, at least. For Lou, Jennifer, that's like really <laughs> that's good. That's saying a that's lot. That's good. Okay. Yeah. If I were to ask Lou, how excited are you to be working with me? It'd be like six. No. <laughs> Lower? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, <laughs> all right. Well, you know what, guys? I know there's a lot that we could talk about, but Jennifer just... You are among us, uh, a lady, and uh, and so I, this is you know obviously it's a hard thing for a man to talk about to his sisters in Christ about these things. Obviously, I want to be faithful to God's word. We went to this kind of tricky passage yesterday, 
any any impressions from the sermon or any kind of questions that you have to get us started? Yes, well, I think um, I appreciate that you say that it is difficult to talk about and that you are willing to do it because um, I think it's something that has is not always addressed um, in the church or addressed well. And I think it's important because, um, you know, it's confusing because as a woman, you do experience, um, you know, you're discounted. Uh, sometimes it's perceived um, or, or very real injustice in the world. And yet mm-hmm. you know that God is a God of justice. And so you wonder, how does it relate? How does all this relate to how a woman is, you know, supposed to um, her role in the home and in the church? So I really appreciated that you started out with the nature of God Mm. and that you said it was order, you know, that his nature is order. And that's where this um, these roles come from. That's telling us something about who God is. And so it's really important. And not only that, it's really profound. Mm. So it's not anything to. you know, take our own understanding and project it on God that we want to look to him and see what he has to say about yeah. the whole thing. So I, I loved how it started. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Uh, you know, I know that during the beginning we did have some technical issues, uh, but I, I kind of spent the first little part of the sermon talking about science and talking about chemistry. And I, I'm, I'm always, I'm amazed by chemistry. I'm amazed by physics. How do you make a plane fly, for example. Well, you make a plane fly just by understanding how air pressure works. And if you can understand how air pressure works, you can actually make a, a plane fly. So these things aren't, um, what, what all that we're doing in, in science when we do these things where it seems like we're breaking the laws of the, the universe, we're actually just understanding the laws of the universe. And the more that we understand them, the more we flourish. So that was kind of the paradigm that I wanted to give. The more we understand God's order for the home and family and the church and roles of men and women, actually the more that we will flourish, the more that we, these are good, these are for our good. But we kind of live in a moment where on one side you have kind of this patriarchal dominance of women, right? Which you say is is unjust, is wrong, Mm -hmm. can be very cruel. On the other side, you you basically have this, there is no gender difference, right? Gender is a social construct, right? And I think what the Bible gives us is this, no, there's, there's definitely differences between gender, but they're actually good and both glorious and both um, beautiful and, and both interdependent uh, of one another, uh, male and female. So, mm-hmm. And you started your sermon yesterday talking a lot by, about headship, um, and you, know, you, you could have listened into this sermon at the very beginning and wondered, wait a minute, I thought this was Where's about biblical going? womanhood, yeah. and we're talking about men and headship. Talk to us about why it's important to understand headship as it pertains to understanding biblical womanhood. Well, and again, I just just really, as I mentioned, just we wanted to, or Jennifer mentioned, we want to talk about God's order, right? And so, again, I think it's hard to understand um, who women are and God's desire, design for women. I mean, if if you look at the narrative of Scripture, you know, women are initially introduced right in relation to Adam right mm-hmm. it, it it's from Adam it's it's in relationship to this man that God's created that we actually see women so I think you you have to understand a little bit of what Adam is supposed to do what the man is supposed to do and really in order to understand what the woman is supposed to do and and I really do think it's not that God's uh, command obviously for everyone is to marry but there is something that is displayed in this kind of one flesh union of marriage between men and women 
that is very, very profound and, and very sacred throughout the Bible. Um, and so, again, I, th- I think it's hard to understand particularly how men and women complement one another and how they work together uh, without understanding a man's role and then a woman's role in relationship to that. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but let, let's get to some of these. I want to get to some of these questions that we are asked. Lou, I got one for you. Sure. I know you've written a lot to wives. I talked a lot yesterday about uh, a man's tendency toward passivity. Um men can tend to be passive. Um, and, uh, if, if they're not encouraged to lead and take charge, they oftentimes will just withdraw. Uh, I think kind of one's one of men's, and I'm curious to your thoughts on this. One of men's kind of greatest sin is just the sin of withdrawal, the sin of, um, not engaging, um, uh, the things that, that are hard sometimes. Uh, but one of the questions we got, or just maybe something I'd like to hear more about, is how can a wife encourage her husband to lead in moments where he may be passive? Well, let me, I guess, start by um, addressing your first concern about passivity. You know, the more I study and read about uh, biblical manhood, the one word that jumps out at me even more than the word responsibility is the word initiative. I think God created man to be the initiator and woman to be the responder. Not that women can't take initiative and that we don't respond, but at the end of the day, as the head of my home, I have to take the initiative. I have to take the initiative to communicate. I have to take the initiative to sanctify my family. I have to take the initiative when I have to confess my sin. I sometimes even have to take the initiative to initiate a conflict with one of the members of the family if the conflict is biblically necessary. And it's hard to do that. So, yeah, I think in our culture we have... um, We've sort of uh, lost that, and I just think it's easy for a man to sit back and coast rather than to take the initiative that God intends for him to take. Um, is so, what, yeah, how, how, if you're a woman, <clears throat> how do you encourage your husband to be more of an initiator? Um, I think the thing you have to remember is that um, we're all sanctified through the Word, right? The 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 spirit works through the word to sanctify us and so i guess one of the guiding principles is of course you know you've got to have a clear conscience yourself you've got to take, make sure you're trying to take the beam out of your own eye you've got to make sure that when you know that you're as best you can fulfilling your role and when you sin that you quickly acknowledge it and seek forgiveness of your husband um but uh, I, I really think when you, we're talking about a believing husband, I've got to make a distinction because First Peter 3 talks about you know, winning an unbelieving husband without a word. But when you have a believing husband, then you can use the word, right? All scripture is given uh, by inspiration of God and is profitable, among other things, for conviction. And so in a Christian marriage, the husband convicts the wife, the wife convicts the children, Uh, I'm sorry, the wife convicts the husband. Sometimes the children convict the parents with Scripture. So I think it's really, really important that we use the Scriptures. And I think one of the best ways a wife can encourage her husband is to encourage him to spend time in God's Word on a regular basis. I mean, you know, do we, do you build, do you try to squeeze God's Word into your schedule or do you build your schedule into God's Word? Um, I think uh, sharing prayer requests with him. I think uh, being able to talk to him about uh, uh, patterns of not 
um, leading the way he should. I think there's sort of two ways a wife can approach, approach a husband. Sort of like he grabs, she grabs him by the necktie and pulls him close and says, look, buster, you better do what the Bible says you ought to do. Or she very gently, very sweetly, with a gentle and quiet spirit, without panicking, which is what the word really means, uh, a, a quiet spirit in, in, the, in the Greek. Um, she basically says, honey, it would mean so much to me. You know, it would be such a, a blessing. And to, to point out, both from the scriptures and from her own personal perspective, why it's so important uh, to her and to God for her to lead. You know, we, we talk about the wife's role of, uh, of submitting, uh, and it's hard for a wife to submit to her husband. But one thing that makes it easier for a wife to submit to her husband if that if, if she knows that he's pursuing the Lord, right? It does make it easier because if he's not pursuing the Lord, it's like, well, okay, I've got to submit to this guy, but am I really submitting myself to the Lord? Is the Lord really like leading me through him or am I having to submit to his own fancies and selfish desires? Uh, it just makes it easier for her. So again, just even to explain to him that her job becomes easier if he is fulfilling his job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that what men really respond to, and I think we see this in the Bible, is that their wives respect them. And so I think one thing I would say to this, uh, to this sister, I think you asked this question is, does your husband sense from you? Um, a, I think this desire to be led, right? I think your husband will be, uh, more initi uh, more of an initiator if he knows that, okay, my wife here wants this. She wants to be led. She desires this. And that, and that B, uh, you, you know, that she respects the leadership that he gives and that uh, he, he, she's not always questioning or nagging, but really offers respect where he attempts to lead because leadership is hard, right? And, and you want to lead people that want to follow you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that just a posture, I think that's why, again, to your point, like the Bible oftentimes talks about how do you win your husband? It's actually more often with this kind of quiet and go quiet, humble godliness. And that seems counterintuitive. It seems like you should say, like, come on, man, get with it. Like you said, Buster. Mm. Um, but, but really, Buster will respond more if you just show him honor and let kind of this natural tendency to lead come out in him and let the Lord do his work. And it's difficult, obviously, for a woman to submit to her husband. And again, if you go back to the to the Genesis chapter 3, your desire, Eve, shall be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So there is that, that tension that the Bible even acknowledges. But one thing that I, I have um, said that seems to help a lot of women is explaining to them that they have to make a distinction between their husband's personality in his position. He may have a rotten personality, but God has given him a uniform, and that uniform has got to be saluted. Um, and you don't necessarily have to respect the person that's filling the uniform. You may think the uniform is six sizes too big, but you must salute the uniform even if you have a difficult time uh, um, um, respecting the personality. I like to use the example in Acts chapter 23 where Paul's taken before the Sanhedrin, and he's got a guard on either side, and somebody, I like to picture him on the floor, and these, these Sanhedrin up in the balcony, somebody stands up and says, okay, Paul, you may speak. 
And so he begins and he says, brothers, I have lived in all good conscience up to this, before God up to this day. And somebody else says to the guard next to him, oh, excuse me, would you punch him in the mouth? And so the guard hauls off and slugs Paul. And uh, Paul looks at this guy and he says, God will smite you, you whited wall, you hypocrite. You stand here to judge me according to the law and command me to be smitten contrary to the law. Like, really? Well, somebody else stands up. I don't know if he stood up, but anyway, somebody else says, Paul, you know what you just did? You just reviled the Lord's high priest. And the moment Paul realized that that personality that he, he judged to be so bad had a position, had a uniform, he condemned himself out of the law. He took the hit for it. He, he confessed. He said, brothers, I knew it not. And then he quotes the scripture to condemn himself, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of the rulers of your people. So again, I know it's hard, but um, it makes it easier if you can see your husband has been having been given this uniform by God that must be saluted. You don't have to agree with your husband. It certainly doesn't mean you can't reprove your believing husband when he sins, but you must realize that God has given him a uniform. And when you appeal to him, and even when you confront him, you should do it respectfully. And as I said before, with a believing husband, with the scriptures in hand. Mm -hmm. I think it's important um, to, to be able to do that. I feel like you, you have to be walking in the spirit as a woman, personally as well. Certainly submitting to the spiritual leadership of uh, your husband. But Genesis 3 um, and verse let's see, 16 here, the second half of that says, your desire shall be for your husband, he shall rule over you. Mm -hmm. and we know that um, in looking at the Hebrew, that that is, you, you will want to rule over him, but mm -hmm. he's going to rule over you. Right. Kind of an idea. And that's a, that is the fallen state that we find ourselves in, right? As, as men and women, we live in this Genesis 3 world, cursed with desires within us that so reflect the fall. And so in order for us to, submit to the husband's position, uh, you really have to trust the Lord and walk in the Spirit in order to be able to do that. And the other side of that is, you know, our temptation is going to be to want to abuse our authority, to use right. the, to give the authority, the, to take the authority that God has given me for, the, for His glory and for the benefit of our family and to use it to execute our own personal selfish agenda. That's going to be our temptation. That's a really, really good word. Yeah. Why is this order in place? It's not in place... Yeah. So that like men can have an easy life, right. it's in place to reflect some order of God and the glory of God. But and, we, to, and to bless and to bless our families. We often, yeah, we oftentimes use it to serve ourselves, right. and that is the opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's that what I was saying yesterday. Like, what does God want from us? He wants us to abide, to cultivate. He wants us to shamar, to protect, and to keep. But what do we end up doing? We end up mashal. We end up conquering. We end up abusing. Um, so yeah, hey, let me move on because we've got a lot of questions to get to. This is an interesting question. Lou, stick around for this one. Lou may have to bounce on us because look, we record these things in real time and Lou's got things to do, people to see. But um, okay, so one of the questions was, you make an argument for a men's role of authority based on the chronological order. Uh, this doesn't just fall apart because of course the animals were made before Adam and Eve. We don't make the argument based on chronological order. And if it seemed that I said that yesterday, uh, that's not what I intended to say at all. Um, Adam, and maybe you see in the scripture, you know, Adam being for, formed first, it, it, it's not necessarily first in terms of, uh, 
you know, in terms of chronology, even though it, it was first in terms of chronology, but it's, it's first. Adam, Adam was called to be the head, and then his wife was called to be the helper. Adam was being formed after the animals put in charge of all of creation. God gave him that role, and then, of course, he called the woman to be the helper. So these aren't arguments we're making based on some sort of induced chronology. It's arguments we're making because of that's just what the word says. So, uh, but great question and and very good thoughtfulness. But the second question this person asked, I thought was, uh, you know, even a little more interesting. Basically, we we talk about uh, you know these truths applying to the home and uh, also applying to the church, right? This this order of of male headship and. Um, the role of men and women in these settings. But then, you know, this person said, well, why wouldn't we apply them to environments outside of um, the church and the home? Why why does the husband, you know, for example, why do we always agree that the husband has to be the head of the home, but then say that a woman could be the CEO of a company over many men? So um, I think it's a great question. Thoughts, comments, anybody has on that? Well, these are God's institutions. Um, marriage is first and then the church and he has established order for those institutions but you know to, to take the order that God has given in one thing and to and to apply them to to other things um, is not always a wise thing to do sometimes it can be done but I think in this case no um, I think it's legalism I think it's going and beyond I, what the scripture teaches yes and I would say I think it also changes what God is trying to say um, headship is different it's the fact that he um, that women can be CEOs, that they have abilities, that they add um, greatly to groups and organizations, um, you know, they're equal to men in their ability. And that's right, what yeah. God is saying in, within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit are equal, but they're distinct. And, and they, they take they on, and, and right, and they submit to the Father. So it's like he provided this opportunity within the church and the family to show that submission, to say something profound about who he is. Yeah, these are sacred institutions with particular value in terms of reflecting the glory of God. Whereas, like, you know, CVS, whatever company you want to pick, mm-hmm. is not a sacred institution. It's a business is important. And there and there may be some things that should be applied. So, for example, like, I do think the Bible commands women to be attentive to their home. Um, and so it's hard to do that and be a CEO. Um, and I would even just say like for those for ladies out there, like your career, and, and this is also true for men. I mean, family uh, has an effect on your ability to work, uh, particularly when your kids are young. And so I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of women that neglect their children because of their careers. I think there's a lot of men that neglect their children because of their careers. Mm-hmm. And so there's some biblical principles that we have to apply to the workplace, but the Bible never gives us a manual in terms of how any sort of secular company or whatever should be organized. Were you going to say something, Lou? Um, actually, no. Cat got your tongue. Yeah. Cat got your tongue. Well, the, the, I guess the point I was going to try to make is um, the Bible also says that the husband is to provide for his wife. And so I guess my thinking is if a woman is going to work outside the home and she's going to contribute to the household uh, finances uh, in terms of working outside the home, then I think the husband needs to pony up and be willing to be Mr. Mom or, you know, fulfill some of those responsibilities as well and not expect the wife 
to go out and work full time and then to discharge all of the domestic responsibilities. I, I don't think that's what God intends. Yeah, how I understand that is provision is a man's responsibility ultimately. Right. Now, if you're in a scenario where, you know, let's say you have, uh, you, you're married and, or, you know, you as, an, as a woman uh, have the capacity, like let's say you're a medical doctor or something like that and you can, you can, because of the skills, particular skills you have, you can provide for the family right. in a much better way than your husband can, then right. I agree, I would agree with you. Yeah. However, let's say you both lose your job. Mm-hmm. In that scenario, the husband doesn't look at the wife and say, well, somebody's got to take mm-hmm. care of the family. You've right. always been better. That's where he's going to say, no, no, I'll figure this out. It's my responsibility to make sure that we as a family are provided for. Exactly. Um, and so that that's showing the way that provision works itself out. There's a lot of different scenarios there. But ultimately, who is taking responsibility for provision? That is something that's been given, obviously, to the man. A couple of things. Um, and you may have mentioned this yesterday or I've heard you say it before. I forget. Um, but when the CEO wife mother comes home and takes off her her Hat. uniform of great authority and then submits to the husband in the home, it's actually a very, very beautiful thing. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's true a, strength. Yeah, that is true strength. Um, it's like and, Jesus. And, and, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what, right. That's and so that's, that's one thing. And then also the other thing, um, to your point, Jason, I think, um, you know, in our culture where your value, your perception is so connected to the amount of external authority and money and power that you have, I think we've twisted yes. a little bit Yes, what is valuable, what is godly and right. And I think we undervalue the home in our culture in a way that we don't even fully understand. Our minds have been so shaped by the 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 big city narrative yeah, that it's like such an individualistic know, culture yeah. in ancient times where you got value was from community, from family, from your heritage, your children. Right, heritage, your name, yeah. these kinds of things. Yeah, raising up good children and obviously now those kinds of things, family, but just think about how people treat their parents. Uh, they kind of forget about their parents. Think about how people kind of just pawn their children off to be raised by someone else. This is stuff that would have been unheard of in the ancient world. These were the greatest achievements mm-hmm. that you could have had in uh, in, in other times. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I think it's just important to realize how much kind of our current cultural narrative impacts the mm-hmm. way that we view all these things. Yeah. We give our time um, to things that anyone can do, right? And we put priority in things that anyone can do. So, like, if you're the CEO of a company, you know what will happen if you're not the CEO of a company? Someone else will be Someone the CEO, be the right, CEO right, of yeah. your company. You're the father of your children. Do you know who can be the father of your children? Only one you. guy. Yeah. You can do that. And so it's important That's and imperative, right. I think, for us to really focus on our unique God-given responsibilities. And I think it shows our selfishness, too, right? I mean, if you're a CEO of a company, there's all these people that think you're important. They bring you coffee. You have a private jet. If you're a good dad, you know, you just have, have to change diapers. You change a diaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah, or something. So... I think it just shows how kind of self-focused we are. Lou, you got a comment? I know yeah, Lou's got a bounce. Got to run, yeah. Um, so you, you, we got a question that's coming up, guys, that even Lou Priolo doesn't want a piece <laughs> of. So, <laughs> um, so you reminded me uh, when you talked about coming home and how beautiful it is, you know, for a wife to switch hats and put on a different uniform. 
When uh, when I was here years ago, I had an office down by the airport, and my number one uh, client, counselee, was uh, a pilot. And um, different um, different occupations have different struggles, but one of the occupational difficulties that um, the pilots I counseled back then had is they'd be gone for two or three days at a time, and then they'd come home, and okay, I'm home now, and they just expect their wife just to hand them the baton, you know, with the authority and the kids and everything else, and it was a it was a struggle. It was a struggle because the the wives didn't want to you know they struggle to give it back right away, and um, the husband just kind of wanted to take it and snatch it out of their hand. And so I'd I'd actually counsel them the day before, maybe twelve hours before, just to sort of get themselves psyched up for a more smooth transition because it is a very difficult thing to do practically. I gotta run. Great being with you all. Lou. Thanks, Lou. All right, I got another question for you, Blake. Um, so I kind of implied in my sermon, uh, this is a question that we got texted in that it's normative, right? For if you're married, there's kind of a command to you to, to have children. Um, uh, what do you think that this is a command of scripture? Like should every married couple feel like God is commanding them to have children or is that just kind of, you know? Yeah. If you want to have kids, have kids. If not, don't have kids. I, I tend to think that it is not optional. Um, I, I don't think that you get to choose whether or not, as a married couple, if you want to participate in God's original cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. I, I think that it is the normative practice, should be the normative practice, that you sh- if you're married that you should desire children right that you should participate in not just your individualistic life but the whole narrative of humanity which is multiplying creating a heritage establishing a legacy that honors and reflects the image of god right and, and the person can actually kind of ask like well isn't that a command kind of given to humanity not just given to hum- human couples i said well it is given to humanity but if you are a human couple uh, getting married, mm-hmm. then it's also kind of given to mm-hmm. you. It's given to all humanity. I don't know anything to add to that. I Jennifer? guess my question would be for those who can't have children. Um, I know you talked about in the end of the sermon that was helpful. Um, you know, the hope of children. We haven't gotten to that part yet, but like the spiritual children. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that wouldn't apply to. Well, uh, yeah. I, mean, I know there's the yeah. if you can't, but then you could adopt, or, right? You know, how I. Do you, I think, you know, there, there are things we can control in the world and there are things that we cannot, right? And um, our desire should be for Children. participating in what God has created as orderly. I don't think that every couple should be feel that same mandate to adopt, though. No, I, I don't think so. I ho- hope many would be open to that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you are, I think God's design for marriage is that you would be married, you'd be together, yeah. you'd be coming together and, and, you know, having sex with one another. And the result of that is naturally that you would have children. Mm-hmm. There would be the fruit of the womb. Um, and so now obviously sometimes that doesn't happen right. as we're saying. And, and, you know, I think there are sometimes where that, that couple then has the choice. I think there's some freedom there of, okay, do we want to pursue adoption? Do we want to, um, mm-hmm. you know, or do we want to just realize that mm-hmm. God's calling us to sort of a, a, you know, childlessness. And I think both are viable options for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Um, but I, I think the question I would ask is why don't you want to have kids? Right. Um, why, why are you against this? Mm-hmm. And if the answer to that, I think I would say if the answer to that is like, well, because I serve overseas on the mission field in a place where, you know, me, my husband, we could die at any time and I don't want to leave these kids as orphans or, you know, or they could, I would be bringing their life in danger. That still may not be reason to not have them, mm-hmm. but it may be, okay, that may be a valid reason to wait for a little while to have children or, you know, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the answer is just, well, I don't want the burden of having kids, you know, I like my freedom, I like my individuality, or I have talked to people who the answer sometimes is, well, you know, I had pains in my childhood. I'm not, I'm a little fearful that, you know, you know, some of my tendencies as a parent might, I might pass off to the kids. I would just say those aren't valid reasons. Like, especially for a Christian, I mean, to the first, you know, doesn't that seem very selfish? And then to the second, that isn't that the point of the gospel that we can redeem Mm -hmm. these things. I mean, there, there are things in me, okay, the, the things that I'm most critical of my parents about, uh, I see in, in my myself. own parenting right. and in my own husbandry, right? Yeah. And they're actual things that I don't like, but they're there, and Paige will point them out to me, particularly my kids don't, you know, my kids don't know, but my Paige will point them out to me and she'll say, you know, way to go, and then she'll, you know, mention my parents, and, uh, and, and you know what I have to do in that situation? I have to say, you know what? She's right. It's convicting. And so even these things that I am personally critical of, I still emulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that just shows how deep sin can run and how generational sin is. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't lead me to say, well, oh, well, I'm messed up forever now. I look to Christ. I look to his redeeming power and I try to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the heartbeat of scripture you know the 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 thrust of scripture is no way of saying that is that we should all be deeply concerned and seek to be deeply engaged in the generations ahead of us yes in making the generations come and if you're you know come forth by being fruitful and multiplying and if you're in a situation where um you, you know, barrenness is a reality, and that is a very, very painful reality. Right. And that's something that we don't control necessarily. Um, and that's a very painful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of hardship around that whole uh, reality, and it's supposed to be hard because right. God made us not to experience that, but we live in a fallen world and we do. But even still, if you find yourself in that situation, I still think there's a massive impact that you can have on the generations to come right um by by being involved in the kids and the lives of the kids of your neighborhood of your you know extended family of your church family um children in other words barrenness and and or inability to have children is not does not mean kids are not for you right that's good right kids are for you you should still take on the burden of children in Mm -hmm. some way yeah absolutely yes it's good. Okay. Um, all right. This is the hard one. Lou couldn't handle it. Lou's out. Oh, man. Oh, man. I might have to leave, too. <laughs> if Lou can't figure it out. <laughs> you have an you appointment? I, it's like, oh, I got, have a counseling I got an 1115. Okay. In fact, I'm <laughs> the person Lou's counseling, so <laughs> I got to get out of here. I got to go. All right. No, no, no. This is this is a really important question, and and I think that there, I think what, you know, I've obviously thought about this. I, I, I want to give some, like, principles, um, but I think there's, like, 
Christian, good Christians can land in a couple of different places on this. Okay, but the question is about, okay, what about women pastors or leaders, women evangelists that speak in conferences or speak at events, right? So is it is it is it good for men to be kind of listening to women teachers of the Bible? Okay, so let me ask this in, in two ways. Okay, so let's let's start here. So, you know, I guess the first question I would ask, like, would we have you know, clearly, from if you heard this sermon yesterday, clearly you'd want to have male elders, male headship, you know, in the church. Um, but would we have a woman preach, like do the pulpit ministry preaching uh, on a Sunday morning, you know, at Christ's covenant? No. Yeah. And why not? Um, I mean, for all the reasons that we mentioned earlier, I, I think there um, is a protective role and responsibility given to um, the men of the church, uh, in particular the elders in the church, um, to oversee, to protect the church from any kind of false doctrine. And I just think the order that God has given us for the home certainly is also to be reflected in the church. And the primary way that doctrine and theology is protected is through the explanation Mm -hmm. and the explication of God's Word. Right. I just think it would it it would it 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 is it's confusing, right? It 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 would lead. I mean, I know that a lot of churches would do this, and they would say, "Look, we, you know, obviously we have male pastors, but occasionally we'll have like on Mother's Day. Right? Mother's Day is coming up, right? So this will probably happen in a couple of weeks. You know, well, you know, this woman pastor preaches on Mother's Day, but it, it's almost like um, it's almost like having a value, and then breaking that value always leads to confusion. Uh, it hurts your clarity. I don't know anything to add to that, Jennifer. No, that okay. sounds reasonable to me. Okay. So, but then the question then becomes, what about like parachurch ministries? What about like that, you know, yes. beyond that? And I think that's where it gets a little more foggy. Like, um, you know, so again, I, I think that what I wanted to try to say yesterday was that there is a measure of doctrine that is kind of held together by elders, overseers in your church. So here's a, here's an example. Let's say a lot of women in our church started, even women or men, mm-hmm. men or women, whoever, started reading a book by a certain author, male or female, and that was leading them to a, a false understanding of God's word, right? Okay. okay. It's the shepherds, overseers, pastors that would then say, hold on, like we actually have an issue here where these people are being deceived. We would want to bring about the rod, not the rod as like a, you know, corrective rod, but the measure of rod, the canon, the rod of truth and say, look, look, this is what is truth. And you're, you're falling outside of that. And I think that's, that's one of the great things about being a member of a church, right? You, you're protected. I mean, I, I, as a member of this church. I'm not even, you know, I mean, I'm educated. I have, I've studied theology. I can be deceived, right? I might can begin reading my Bible and see something that is wrong. And that's where I'm counting on Blake and the other elders to say, no, you're wrong here. And I think what the Bible is saying is that office, that kind of care protective office is reserved for men. But then is it wrong, okay, if that's very clear, is it wrong for like the men of our church to go to a conference or something outside of the church 
uh, in a normative way and listen to the teaching of female preachers, teachers? I would, well, we had a discussion. (laughs) We've talked about this, but maybe the distinction is, or could be, that if a woman has at a conference has um, expertise in an area, and so there is a, you know, there you can think of a scenario where men would learn from women in that respect. But if you're looking for a woman um, leadership from a woman, that that would cross the line. And it, I feel like it's a, I don't know that you can say yes or no. You should never sit um, in a conference under a woman's teaching. Like you can't say mm. yes or no, like it's a either or, it just depends, right? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think it would be sinful, uh, certainly, for someone to go and uh, learn from a woman. I think I learn from a woman every single day. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah. I need it, and right. I tell you, I mean... But at a Christian gosh, conference, you know, right. it does have that, mm-hmm. that new layer so, of... Yeah, I think at a conference, like personally where I am right now, and I, I kind of vacillate on this between you know there's kind of a spectrum that I fall on but I, but I like to think that um you know for for instance Jen Wilkin I love Jen Wilkin I think mm-hmm. she is an excellent excellent thinker I think she's a very compelling speaker on discipleship and I think I've learned a lot from her mm-hmm. and I think she has a lot to offer the church um in kind of that supplementary parachurch kind of voice way if that makes sense so like I'm you know, she's a subject expert and she can speak on something, um, that we can discern among our elders, you know, as a pastor, is this something that applies to our church? And I think that's fine. Okay. Dees? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that in a parachurch ministry setting, if you're a leader of a parachurch, you should think, how can I help the church? Right. And so, I, I think the subject matter, you know, expert kind of thing is an interesting, you know, kind of distinction there. Uh, like, let's say, you know, there was a, a woman that ran some sort of organization, you know, um, and she was going to kind of talk about that and talk about how the Bible applies to that. I think that would be totally appropriate, and it's not normatively confusing to the church. But if you have, uh, you know, a woman just standing up to preach in a conference with a mixed crowd, men and women, uh, I think it communicates something that's like, this is normal. Um, and I, I just think it can be, I don't know, if it's hard to like draw the line there. Again, I think, mm-hmm. I think the, roles of, the, ro- the, the rules of parachurch are different than a church. You're right. not, we're, not, we're not submitting to these people as like elders or right. overseers in any right. sort of way. But where I think it, it can just be confusing, right? Yes. And, and, and particularly, I think we, sh- we need to just be clear um, in terms, I, I think that parachurches should typically in the normative way reflect what we would want to see in kind of a local church setting. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. And but yes. I, and the question I think we were at we were answering was is it okay to go hear yeah. a woman not is not no. kind of the wisdom thing you're Right. Yeah. No, I, so I th- I think I'm agreeing yeah. with you yeah, like yeah, yeah especially yeah. especially in like a subject matter kind of expert kind of way. But when that just becomes like there's not really there's not like there's no like reason she's up there except for like she's just a really good preacher and you know we just wanted to preach because you know because obviously and, and here's what I want to say you know the Bible understands that 
there's a lot of good, I mean, and even I think in the first century, there was a lot of women that had great insight into mm-hmm. the Word of God, but there was this order setting wanting to protect both, I think, a man's headship in the home and male headship in the church that that Paul, I think, is just restricting that. Mm-hmm. He's not saying the women don't have anything good to say anyway. Because right. no. Romans 16, he right. thanked many women right, in right. that So they passage. do have a lot of good right. things to say, but he's... He's giving this, look, there's an order here that's going to most rightly reflect what God desires in the church so that the church and so that the home can rightly reflect, mm-hmm. um, you know, the glory of God. So, yeah, I, I think yes, but if this, but it should be kind of nuanced. You, yeah, you got to be yeah. careful. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah, a yeah. way of wisdom. Right. And I think that, I think what I fear is not that, this is happening so much it's that it's thoughtlessly happening it's it's happening because it's like oh let's get a woman to do why not right yeah 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 and so uh that's where i think if that's where i think there's a callousness toward these things that are in the bible for a certain reason and i think that that's seriously right and that's where i think that you know i would just be careful right If if you think that the leaders of this conference or the leaders of this event um you know, they're doing this, you know, with, with intentionality, uh, understanding, you know, measuring out what God has put in his word, then yeah, I think that's good. But if it's just this kind of callous, well, that's how bad theology always happens. Right. Right. Um, or bad doctrine or bad practice happens. Mm-hmm. So. Just a thought. I, I wonder like if I were to say that, um, being a biblical woman presumes that you should be satisfied to be a godly wife and a godly mother and have nothing else. I think some people listening, some ladies may not like that mm-hmm. because of the cultural influence. But uh, I think that's where biblical womanhood can begin. Mm-hmm. Looking to God for order, looking to God's design, right. being satisfied. Right with being a wife and being a mother, a mother and having nothing else, obviously right. having the Lord. But Right. And I think um, for me and my experience, when that really um, became sweet to me was to see, um, just to realize again that Jesus, son of God, equal to the father, was willing to set it aside to come here, humble himself and go to the cross and that he was trusting his father um, completely setting aside his will and um, wanting to do his father's will. And that really um, just became really beautiful to me that like, oh, I have abilities that God's given me. I have strengths. um, And I'm not asked to not be who God has created me to be, but I'm asked to fulfill these roles. And it's nothing less than what Christ has done. Mm, That's good. And it's, um, and that is, you know, how can you say no to that? Mm -hmm. That's a great place to end. Well, for Jennifer McClish and Blake Rogers, and at one point in time, Lou Priolo, yep. I'm Jason Dees. Thanks so much for listening.